0: Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weins, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we've spent a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders.
1: Well, we're back, Life Together in Christ, Cultivating Communities for Spiritual Transformation. This is season two of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm here with Ruth Haley Barton. Hi, Ruth.
0: Hi, good to be with you, Steve, (laughs) as (laughs) always.
1: So episode six is the nature of the spiritual journey. Was it necessary that the Messiah should suffer? Bring us up to speed on where we're at in the story of the Ness Road.
0: Well, the disciples have chosen to walk together, and Jesus has joined them on the road, and they've welcomed him as a part of their conversation. They are having a discussion now about all these things that had happened. They've been very open. They've gotten to the bottom of the fact that their hopes have been dashed, and they don't even know what life going forward looks like. And Jesus has now listened long enough that he is now ready to bring a little bit of spiritual perspective and to give them a sense of what has really happened from a spiritual point of view. And I think that this is a very important aspect of transforming community, is that in the appropriate ways and at the appropriate times, a spiritual community helps us to find a a spiritual perspective on the very hard things that we've experienced in our lives. Timing is everything, by the way. You don't just jump in right away with this, but eventually there comes a moment when a spiritual friend or the life in the community, whether it comes from, you know, preaching or whether it comes from teaching or, you know, scripture reflections or whatever, when we really can start to look at something from a spiritual point of view and wonder what is really happening spiritually here? Yeah.
1: When it comes to suffering too, I think, number one, a lot of us avoid it. Number two, when it does show up, we either assume we've done something wrong mm-hmm. or God has done something wrong to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So uh, what's the role of suffering in the life of a Christian in community?
0: Well, I think Jesus is trying to really unfold that for the disciples when he he actually, I, I and I hear him saying this in a very tender way. He, yeah. he says that they have been foolish, you know, <laughs> Uh not able to understand what's really going on, even though he had explained it to them. He had told them that suffering was going to be involved. And he says, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer and then uh, to enter into his glory? And so what Jesus is telling them is that there's, the nature of the spiritual life is that there is suffering and that it's out of suffering that we are purged from things that are no longer necessary. And then we emerge from that place resurrection life and so jesus is now trying to explain to them what the fundamental most uh, basic rhythm of the spiritual life is death burial and resurrection and if jesus had to suffer that if that was jesus journey it will be our journey as well and that's what he's trying to say he's he's saying i explained this to you before clearly you did not get it clearly you did not believe me (laughs) but let me tell you again it is necessary that we go through suffering death burial and resurrection to new life in Christ and that's a hard word it's a hard message and we have to be ready to hear it and apparently Jesus discerned that they were ready now for this sort of spiritual perspective on what they had been through
1: do you think that um, perhaps they were believing the story that the Messiah would come and now everything was going to be up and to the right mm-hmm. for the for the community of faith
0: yeah and Jesus that... had been describing a kingdom to them he had said that he was going to be establishing his own kingdom, but all they could think about was the Roman rule that they had been living in. They could only think about kingdom as they saw it, and in fact, they were the underdogs in that kingdom that they were living in as well. They were the oppressed Jews in the Roman kingdom, and so I think they they assumed that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was going to be like the Roman kingdom that they were living in and that they were going to be the ones that would come into power. So the idea that, that there would be death and suffering and that the kingdom would look so different. I mean Jesus kingdom, as we know, is upside down to what we think of as being a powerful kingdom in this world. It was really in hard, if not impossible that for them to wrap their heads around what it would really mean to follow Jesus and what their lives would look like.
1: So how do leaders help the people in their community? Maybe they're pastors, maybe they're leaders of nonprofits. Uh, maybe even their parents, and they're helping their kids. Mm-hmm. How do we grasp the role that suffering and dying, and this whole you know birth, mm-hmm. death, rebirth, yeah. which is the primary story mm-hmm. of of the scriptures? How do we help? Uh, move people through the fact that that's a reality of the spiritual journey.
0: I think we have to normalize it by teaching about the spiritual journey. And oftentimes in um, some of our church environments, it's very much about victorious Christian living. And if you want it, you can have it and power of positive thinking and all of that. And it's hard for us to talk about a gospel And a spiritual journey that includes suffering, death and dying, because that doesn't that's not the success model that we live in, especially not here in the West. I mean, in American culture, there is just no place for failure and death and all of that. It's if it's not up and to the right, we're not being successful. And so then we feel like a failure. We don't even know how to be with these places that require us to that require the grain of seed to fall into the ground and die before it brings forth fruit but there are these major biblical teachings that we're not comfortable with and so we don't teach them very well so i think the first thing that a pastor or a leader can do is to normalize this part of the spiritual life and to say, this is going to happen. This happened to Jesus. It's going to be a part of our individual lives as we take this journey together. It's going to be a part of our corporate life together. There will be some death and dying for this church, potentially, some death and dying in our own organization as it relates to vision and how we might have envisioned things being. Uh, And that is very, very normal. And the good news is that the only thing that stands to die is that which is false anyway, that which doesn't really serve God's Uh, larger purposes for us so um if we can have the perspective that when we move through these times when it feels like things are dying that those things are not probably things that god feels are necessary for us anyway and so when you think about jesus christ and he is our example in this when you think about him you think about the fact that he was not sinful and yet he too needed to die In order for the will of god to come forth in his life so what needed to die wasn't sin necessarily it's just that which was no longer necessary that which was limiting so jesus life in a body fulfilled god's purposes for the three years that jesus was here on the earth and then there came a time when jesus existing in a physical body no longer served the larger purposes of god for him and for us and so the body needed to suffer and die in order for Jesus to be freed, you know, to go back to heaven, to be present with us through the Holy spirit. So it was actually good for him and for us that he went through this, but it doesn't make, it didn't make it any easier at the time for him or for the people that had to witness it.
1: Um, you, we haven't talked really at all about true self, false self dynamics Mm -hmm. in this season yet, Right, Mm -hmm. but it, uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. So, uh, talk a little bit about true self, false self dynamics and how the false self, um, Starts to get burned off. Yes, exactly,
0: and that and that is you know that is what does die. So it's not the true authentic self. That part's going to live, and that part's going to always live. But the false self, those patterns that we've developed throughout our lives to keep the. The tender little authentic self safe that that was necessary. That was necessary for us to find our way into adulthood. There comes a point when it's it no longer serves us. When it actually limits what God wants to do. So those defensive strategies, those ways in which we kept ourselves safe, those human programs for happiness and for safety and security and affection and approval and a sense of control and agency in our lives. Those are early stage developments, you know, and we develop those as children in order to find our way in the world. But then when we come into a more adult expression of faith and as God wants to lead us deeper on the spiritual journey and God wants to lead us into more and more effective uh, aspects of our leadership, some of those early defensive strategies need to fall away in order for us to trust God more fully with our very lives. And so that's the death that we're talking about here um now let's also be clear that it's not always that which is sinful or false like i said it's that which is no longer necessary which is why jesus is such a great example for us in this because i don't think that his life in a body was false it just became limiting. It just became unnecessary for the greater works that God wanted to do, in and through Him. So I, I hope, and I, I hope that we can be encouraged by that. That all we stand to lose in this experience of death, burial, and resurrection is that which is false, or that which is no longer needed or necessary for that which God which God is now calling us to. Pretty exciting stuff, actually, if you can find your way through it. And I think it is a pastor's job, a leader's job. the the job perhaps of a spiritual companion or friend to bring that kind of spiritual perspective when it's needed at the right time.
1: But I think it's a whole different category that you have to put it in because I do think most of us think when we suffer, Mm -hmm. we have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we're being punished, which I don't know, maybe that's the case sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or God is punishing us for some uh, random reason. Or um, this category that you're talking about is it's just this is just, it's, it's just, just the, the journey. It's the, it's, journey. The, it's
0: the most sacred rhythm of the spiritual journey. And I consider it to be a sacred rhythm, this, wow. this rhythm of death, dying, and uh, burial, and resurrection. Let me read a quote from Father Thomas Keating that I include in the, this chapter because I think it's so striking. Father Thomas Keating writes that the spiritual journey is not a career or a success story. It is a series of small humiliations of the false self that become more and more profound. These make room inside us for the Holy Spirit to come and heal. What prevents us from being available to God is gradually evacuated as we keep getting closer and closer to our center, that place where God dwells within us as redeemed people. And sometimes it is suffering that initiates the necessary evacuations. We learn from Scripture in the book of Hebrews that even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. This is the deep now, weeds. Like this, is a deep, yeah, this is the deep weeds, Steve.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, it reminds me of something Richard Rohr said, uh, and he said, uh, after the age of 30, success mm-hmm. teaches you nothing. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he follows that up with something very uh, similar to what Thomas Keating said, is he said, I pray for at least one humiliation a mm-hmm. day. Yeah. And so to that, you'd say, why would you do that? But then you think, well... If someone said, there's a path where you can be less defensive, mm-hmm. less um, graspy to everyone approving of you at all times, there, there is a path for that. Do you want that? Yeah. Yeah, I want that. Mm-hmm. Okay, the path is suffering. Yes,
0: exactly. That's right. That's right. And these deaths to the false self. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that is exciting mm-hmm. when you can find a category for it, which means, and the category I think we're finding here is this is about transformation and about letting go of everything that does not lead us to being loved by god and loving god and others and um and 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 moving toward those things that help us love right
0: and And i think if we can really grasp the the nature of the spiritual journey as we're describing it here then i think when those um small humiliations come or when the sufferings come we don't fight them so much because we know what's happening spiritually. We can actually give ourselves to what it is and let God do God's work rather than holding ourselves tight and defending against what's happening. I think then then the lessons that need to be learned in those times and the um, the stripping away that needs to happen happens a little bit more easily because we're not fighting the process. We actually know what the process is so we can... You know, lean into it a little bit and not fight God so much with what God's trying to do in our lives. Sometimes we create our own pain. We make the sufferings even worse by the ways we resist. Um, So, if we can know this, it means that we won't resist as much, and then it doesn't have to be quite as painful and difficult. So, the first time that somebody goes through this, and I remember this in my own life in my early 30s, the first time you experience this is the reality of the spiritual journey. It is terrible it's really really terrible but ever after the first time it's just a little bit easier because you've been through it once you know what it is you know what god's trying to do and you can actually even uh, watch for what god's trying to do and actually partner with god in it beautiful beautiful much easier the second third fourth and fifth time never really really easy but just a little bit easier because you're not fighting
1: yes Oh, so good. So Ruth, uh, what I'm about to ask you, I need to say to everyone who's listening, you're one of us. You've been a pastor for so long and even now you're not an officially in the church, but you're a pastor of pastors. So you get a little feisty with pastors who are endlessly organizing potlucks and fun things and events that keep people full and satisfied and happy. Uh, at the, at the expense of helping us to surrender our life to Christ through suffering. Want to riff mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Or did yeah. I just say the whole thing? No,
0: you didn't. No, um, <laughs> I think you're getting at this issue of Christian busyness and the fact that oftentimes the invitation to be in a, quote, Christian community or a church is actually ends up being an invitation to Christian busyness, which is truly unfortunate and actually distracts people from the real journey a lot of the time so not only are we not teaching them about the true nature of the spiritual journey and helping and helping the congregation or the community to be with each other in that place but we're actually planning distractions all the time you know we're keeping people's lives so busy that there's no time to really attend to what's going on in the spiritual life and so i think it, it sort of gets at what we think the church is for and what we're putting our priorities on so is it going to be on all these activities that we're going to plan and keeping everybody so busy that they're distracted from the inner life or are we going to create some spaces where people can actually attend to what's going on at the soul level and give over to it and let god do god's work and are we going to cultivate communities where we really are paying attention at that level and um, where our togetherness is framed by a commitment to be with each other in this place to walk with each other through this kind of time in our lives. I think a fully orb church is, or a community is going to be able to walk with people at whatever stage of the journey that person is in. And so in this chapter, I do talk about stages of faith, which um, is really a significant piece of teaching in our Christian tradition, which oftentimes pastors themselves are not all that familiar with the stages of faith. And so Bob Mulholland's work, Robert Mulholland's book, Invitation to a Journey, uh, does a really wonderful job of describing the different stages of faith. But these are found in our tradition. These go way, way back, even beyond Bob Mulholland. But the stages are awakening, where we awaken to the presence of Christ. Um, Purgation, where we see ourselves more truly in light of Christ's presence. We see the places where we are living in sin or where we are still very dependent on our false self patterns Uh, in purgation god begins to strip away Those things that are not necessary or those things that really prevent us from union with God. So that's that's what we're talking about here, that place of purgation, suffering, that sort of thing where God begins to cleanse us from those things. And then that leads us to a place of illumination where we're seeing God more clearly, where now that God has stripped away some of those places of bondage to false self patterns, we are experiencing greater freedom in God, greater freedom for God, greater intimacy with God and other people. Um, and he leads us into new ways of being and doing in the world. And that in itself then leads us towards a greater sense of union with God. And those are the basic stages of the Christian journey. And that teaching goes back in our Christian history. And, and I think Bob Mulholland does a really good job of describing those in his book, Invitation to a Journey. I just touch on them here. But um, when a community knows what these stages of the journey are, then we can actually provide support and catalyzing elements for each stage of the journey so no matter where you are on the journey there's a place for you in this community and i think that's a really important aspect of leading a transforming community is making sure that there are places that are um you know supportive and also even catalytic for these different stages of the spiritual journey so early in the spiritual journey there is a lot of excitement about our life in christ and there are a lot of resources that we want to offer and. The, you know, the Bible study backyard barbecue kind of approach to community is helpful at that time. But then later on, it becomes a little less meaningful. And if that's all there is in yeah. the church, that means that a person who's really going through what's happening here in episode six, you know, this, this place of suffering where God is stripping away, if the church has not been intentional to craft some groups or some places where it's okay to talk about this and to be here, then that person is probably going to have to leave the community. Because they cannot find the support that they need for this part of the journey. That's,
1: that's what I was just thinking mm-hmm. before you said that. Yeah, I was going to say, people might be leaving your church because there's there they have they have transcended the journey that your church that mm-hmm. you're allowing your church to be on. If yeah. it's just. Um, those
0: early places, those, those early, early places, stages. Yeah.
1: But it also makes me feel uh, protective of my pastor friends mm-hmm. who um, maybe feel like there's this unsaid contract mm-hmm. that you're going to keep tithing as long as I mm-hmm. keep ch- you know churning out programs mm-hmm. for your kids to be involved with, mm-hmm. for you to be involved with. And if I start maybe taking away some of that busyness and then starting to insert mm-hmm. some of this really, really hard stuff on suffering uh, I'm, I'm going to lose my job on the basis of no one's going to come anymore. Right.
0: Yeah. They're going to go to the church down the street that offers better programming. Yeah. And that gets at the whole consumeristic thing that we've talked about, how uh, not only do we live in a consumeristic culture here in the West, but we also have created that kind of culture in the church where people are just shopping for what they can get out of church. Um, <laughs> but, oh, that's bad. But can,
1: and, and there's a number of ways I think in which, um, and again, We're not only talking about pastors. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know many people listen to this podcast who aren't leaders, who aren't pastors. But um, because I'm a pastor, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the question. Yeah,
0: And then I'm going to come back to you and speak from the parishioner point of view. Oh, good. Yeah,
1: Good, good, good. There's a suffering that a pastor has to go through over and over again when we start to live into our life in Christ in Mm -hmm. this way, when we journey down the road. Right. And when we realize like, oh, my goodness, like this, it's not going to all go up and to the right. Right if i follow mm-hmm. where god is leading me that might really lead to less people that's right and less fun happy mm-hmm. joy backyard barbecues mm-hmm. and into some real hard stuff yes how do we how do we make it through that mm-hmm. journey without quitting breaking up all that
0: stuff we really must trust the journey that's yes. the first thing we have to trust this journey and to trust that it is that it is the journey and that it's happening And that's what matters. That's what matters. And I think we also do have to count the cost. It's there's, you know, the scriptures talk about counting the cost of of following Jesus. And so if the leader is following Jesus in terms of being true to their journey, being true to what they feel God is leading them to do in their church and in their community, they have to trust that and and do that in great faith that God's going to do what God's going to do and that there might be some losses along the way. Because we live in a consumeristic culture where, and now I want to speak to parishioners a little bit that um, parishioners often are looking at a smorgasbord of churches and looking and comparing churches based on what that church is going to give to me. Very rarely do we ever approach a new church and say, I wonder if I joined this church, what I could give to it. How could I contribute to this church? What could I bring? You know, I mean... We, we, we want it. It's all one way. It's you're the pastor. This is the church. You're there for me and to give me what I want and what my family needs. So I want the best youth program. I want the most snazzy children's program. I want, you know, this and that, whatever, you know, whatever crisis I'm in, if I'm in the middle of a divorce or if I'm in the middle of grief or whatever. I want, you know, support groups to meet me in those places. Nothing wrong with all that. But it it does create consumerism, you know. I want the place with the best band. I mean, I you know, the best music or the best preaching on Sunday. Those are really important things. But it's still very consumeristic. It's still approaching a church as to what it's going to do for me rather than maybe there's a place in the body of Christ that God is calling me to contribute to with my gifts. I'd I'd like to see a little bit more balance there than the kind of consumeristic thing that we look at. So I think it's a both and. I think uh, for pastors who are listening, there has to be a willingness to trust the journey and that we have to follow God in his next step for us. Otherwise, our journey is done. Otherwise, we've aborted our journey, which is really sad. When a pastor is no longer on the cutting edge of their own journey, there's a deadness. Their life in Christ is going to suffer and not be the impetus for what they're offering to other people, and that will be a loss to everyone. Um, on the other side of it, though, I really would love to see those who are looking for where they're going to plug in and be in community to be a little less consumeristic and a little bit more aware and wondering about what might, what community might God be calling me to join, so that we could actually contribute to the work of God on the earth. Yeah. You know, wouldn't that be great?
1: Yes. <laughs> It really would be. And that would be costly.
0: It would be costly. To, yes, exactly. To everybody.
1: I mean, but like you said, uh, last episode with men and women mm-hmm. and fully orbness, and how yeah. that actually is the, the real exciting mm-hmm. place to be. When I have experienced that, like when I'm on my journey mm-hmm. and gosh, I'm not always, I mean, yeah. I, I take little hiatuses and I have to recognize that. But when I run into parishioners and I'm thinking about this family, it's pretty new to our mm-hmm. church where they really, like, that is really why they joined Mm -hmm. our church. It's it's with this healthy, what can I bring? Yes. And we see it. Yes. We see it in their kids. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating. Um, Right. And they're, I mean, they're, you know, gosh, they're not like the perfect, but that's not the point. They are bringing life. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of John F. Kennedy. Ask not what our country can do for you, but what, (laughs) you know, you can do for our country. I wish there was a little bit more in how we approach church just to, just to somehow modify this profound consumerism that we somehow found our way into.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we can talk about the truncated gospel that Mm -hmm. Dallas Willard talks about in his um, fabulous book, whose name now I can't remember. Mm -hmm. It's so great. (laughs) So it will not be in the the show notes because you cannot remember the name. (laughs) Yeah, it's the big book that no one can ever <laughs> yes. get through, but everyone quotes. Yeah.
0: The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, the divine conspiracy. Yes. Yeah.
1: But but you know, he says we've we've truncated the gospel mm-hmm. to be about sin management, mm-hmm. to be about like, hey, um receive Christ into your heart, yeah. be forgiven of your sins, take it to heaven when mm-hmm. you die, and that's the whole journey. Right, right. And there and, and what strikes me is that like when you talk about birth, death, rebirth. I know that's not those aren't one time things. No, that happens that's over exactly and over right. Again.
0: And that's one of the points that I think um, Bob Mulholland makes so beautifully in his book, Invitation to a Journey, because he says this can that those four stages can either be seen as the whole journey from wow. now until eternity and union is heaven. You yeah. know, so awakening is when I'm converted. Purgation is, is as, as God deals with me and my sin. Uh, as those things are stripped away, then I, uh, I have a greater freedom in Christ and I live in that freedom. And then, you know, heaven is the place of union, you know, real union with God. But he also says that we cycle through these stages over and over again as it relates to specific areas of bondage and sin. So there's a particular place of bondage and sin where I awaken to the presence of Christ. And I, and in the light of Christ's presence, I see that, that I am living in bondage and unfreedom. And so then God begins to purge and to strip those things away. And as a result of that, and that's the suffering place, that's the death place. Then as a result of that, I come out of that and I live in greater freedom, um, greater given overness to God. And as a result of that, I'm in a deeper level of union with God. And that can happen over and over again in response to different, very specific areas of bondage and sin in my life.
1: I agree, and so it becomes a really helpful question then to say, "What stage in the journey am I at?" Right, right now, now?
0: With, this. with this, with this, yeah, with mm-hmm. this issue,
1: yeah. Or when you're listening to someone mm-hmm. else talk, whether you're a pastor or someone that's um, just in a, a kind of listening environment that we've mm-hmm. talked so much about in previous episodes. Wow, I wonder what stage they're in, you know, yes. and that that helps. That you. informs yeah. how
0: you question and what you mm-hmm. wonder about with that person, and so you even think about pastoral care, mm-hmm. like how this understanding actually affects how one cares for people when they're in the midst of things that are very difficult. This would, in, would inform a different, a whole different set of questions. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus is doing yeah. um, in, in the story of the Emmaus Road, is that he's with them in a very pastoral way and is bringing a perspective that's actually very helpful to them and helps them to see what they're going through in a whole new light.
1: I, I think to say that we need to normalize suffering somehow doesn't sound quite right. And yet at the same time, I feel like we do. Like we—it we It is to... a
0: part of the human experience. Yes. And I think sometimes we we have this sort of magical thinking that we're going to get through our journey without ever having to suffer or that somehow we don't have any false self stuff. So there's not going to be anything that God needs to purge us of. And we're going to get through our lives and we're going to get through the journey without ever having any of that. That is magical thinking. It's yeah. just not real. Yeah. And so we have to live in reality about who we are and what the journey really entails.
1: It's it's interesting how we can so compartmentalize because we would never, th- like those of us who are par- who are parents, and it's not everybody, but we would never think that our kids don't don't need some healthy discipline, exactly. some, some healthy That's shading right. off of some. Right. Far- we, we, yeah. we would never treat right. them like, well, they're just going to be fine and right. good and up and to the right. That's we, would, right. we would never and do that. And
0: sometimes the perspective that we can bring to them when they're going through something difficult is to, Talk about what God might be doing and Mm -hmm. and the goodness that could come from it, and that's helpful if it's done in the right time and in the right way. Yes, you know. Yes,
1: beautiful. Well, Ruth, you have ended with a prayer. Do you have a prayer Mm -hmm. for this one?
0: Well, I can read a poem. I would love. How about a poem? Love that. All right, a poem that is a picture, uh, a metaphor of what we've talked about here in terms of the role of, of suffering and death and dying in our lives. It's called Fall Garden. In fall, the garden is spent, having given its all. Cucumber vines lie exhausted on the ground. Tomato plants list to one side. Corn stalks stand dignified and empty. Sunflower faces droop earthward, shades of their former selves. All that has not been claimed lies moldering in the dirt. A bruised tomato or forsaken pepper, a misshapen pumpkin, a trampled stalk of beans. What came from the earth is returning to the place from whence it came. There is intimacy here in the fall garden, gazing at living things in their demise. I want to avert my eyes, avoid this tender grief. Is this life or is this death? I cannot tell. Ah, but there is a beauty here amid all this death and dying. To have given oneself fully at least once, that is the thing. To have spent oneself in an explosion of color, to have offered one's body for food, one's very soul for nourishment. It is an unseemly generosity, beauty of another kind. In fall, the garden says, this is my life given for you. And we are fed. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there and we're grateful that you've spent the last 30 minutes with us. Thanks Steve for such great questions and for taking that step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a leader who would like to connect your soul with your leadership, please do consider this an invitation to learn more about the transforming community, a two year experience of spiritual formation for leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it is animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. If you'd like to learn more, do visit us at transformingcenter.org.